welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Program Director of the Integrative Medicine Program here at GW. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today we're going to talk about the updated physical activity guidelines for Americans with Dr. Loretta DiPietro. She is a professor and outgoing chair of the Department of Exercise and Nutrition Sciences at GW's Milken Institute School of Public Health. Dr. DiPietro is a widely published researcher with particular interest in the role of physical activity in the health of older adults. She has been awarded grants from the National Institute on Aging and the American Cancer Society, and she lectures at medical schools, public health schools, and other organizations around the world. She was one of only 17 nationally recognized experts in physical activity and health to be appointed to the 2018 Physical Activity Guidelines Advisory Committee. The findings from their systematic review of the scientific evidence helped inform the new guidelines. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Dr. DiPietro. Thank you for having me. We're glad you could join us. Um, so we're just going to start off by, by talking about some of the physical activity guidelines you've been working on. Uh, we know it's been a decade since they were first issued. So how have you updated them and, and what's different in these new guidelines? Uh, much of the guidelines are, the message is the same, but the new guidelines are much more granular, right? For example, um, it's it, we don't just say exercise is good for health. We studied numerous disease outcomes, different populations, young people, older people, people with chronic conditions, and we now have information on what types of activity best benefit different populations, um, as well as how much, how much is needed to do the work. Oh, that sounds a, a lot more helpful. Uh, and hopefully we can uh, review those and, and post those on our, our podcast so you can figure out exactly how much exercise you should be doing. So what is the purpose of these guidelines and why are they essential for all of us to know about? Um, what people need to understand is that these guidelines are meant for prevention, right? Prevention, prevention, prevention. And so, uh, you know, the quantity and quality of exercise is modeled on prevention of diabetes or prevention of physical frailty. And, um, Hopefully now we've um, uh, we are now providing guidelines across the age spectrum with the message that it's never too early to begin exercise and adopting an active lifestyle. And so, uh, if you're active um, in youth as a as a child through adolescence, young adulthood, um, it takes less exercise to prevent the onset of chronic disease and to stay active. If people wait until their train wrecks, well, you know, then it takes a lot more and people get very frustrated that they're not seeing the results uh, that they want. So these are for prevention and people using these guidelines for therapy or treatment need to up the quantity Oh, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have realized that if you didn't tell us that. Yeah, I don't think people take that into account. Or do you think physicians and, and providers are taking that into account as well? 
I have to be very honest with you. I don't Please think do. I don't think currently physicians are even addressing the preventive benefits of physical activity. That's where uh, the biggest return on investment is with physical activity. As I said previously, using it um, as a weight loss treatment for say, frank obesity, it's really difficult. It takes a lot more physical activity. People get frustrated. Uh, they can't meet their goals. And, and so then the message is, well, physical activity doesn't work. Let's prescribe some pharmacological agent. And it's very similar with cardiovascular disease and diabetes. If you wait until disease onset, you have to do more. Mm. Oh, thank you. That's that's absolutely enlightening. Uh, the one thing I'm thinking about too, as you're talking about this, the importance of prevention and starting as as children, is habit building. Do you think it's really just changing your habits and making um, better choices, like taking the stairs or small things like that, and just building upon those? For the majority of Americans, it's going to involve a whole cultural shift in how we live our lives. Um, it's going, um, it'll take uh, changes in how we be- behave inside buildings. As you said, making a conscious effort, oh, I'm going to take the stairs, not the elevator, or walking by an ice cream stand, um, or at least if you're going to get ice cream, let's walk to go get it, and we'll walk back. Let's walk at lunchtime. Let's have a walking meeting. Um, let's stand during the day. We spend the majority of our lives inside buildings. Yes, I actually have that. I struggle every day. I work in, the, in an office building. I do have a balance ball chair so I try to work my core throughout the day try to stand and I am a big proponent of walking meetings uh, it's so great to get outside everybody feels better um, get a little physical activity in and then when you get back to the office I feel like you're way more productive oh and I, I couldn't agree more and the research demonstrates that with regard to executive function um, it's all good but it's going to involve a major cultural shift because I don't think the average person thinks about having a walking meeting. Or even standing to work. Or having a standing meeting. Standing meetings, um, I I hope, are catching on. I don't have chair. I haven't had chairs in my office for eight years. So if you want to have a meeting with me, you have to stand. It makes for quicker meetings. (laughs) (laughs) That's definite. That's true great added benefit. Through your accomplished career, you've bridged the gap between population-based public health and the clinical and physiological domains of exercise science. Which findings have intrigued you the most? (laughs) I'd have to say the findings that are the most obvious, and in fact, where you're explaining the obvious. And I'll give you an example. Um, We had a paper published uh, a number of years ago on post-meal Walking and its immediate and um, sustaining effect on post-meal blood glucose values, right? That translated into lower excursions that lasted through the night. Italians have been walking after dinner for (laughs) yes for for centuries, and you know who would have thought that you know 
contracting your muscles will dispose the glucose in your blood. That's what it's supposed to do. And so this was, on this one day in July, this paper was the most widely published medical article in the world. And it's explaining the obvious. So I have to say that will never happen to me again, but that was interesting. Well, it just goes to show how important it is to reinforce ideas. Simple ideas. Walk after dinner. (laughs) Now, with the new guidelines, were there any findings that... um that gave you an an aha moment or excited you? Quite a few, actually. Um, And I ran the subcommittee on aging. So we were studying particularly what types of physical activities are best to uh, prevent uh, a decline in physical function that then leads very quickly to frailty. And um, the newest information since the last guidelines really point to the benefits of what we call uh, multi-component physical activities where... On the one hand, you know, it's not just about walking. It's walking and then maybe holding handheld weights while you're walking or doing balance exercises while you're walking. So it's the combination of balance, strength, and aerobic activity. And then some studies now are... You know, studying those types of programs, we offer a free class at the Milken Institute for our older communities around. But studies are now looking at alternative or complementary forms of exercise, Tai Chi. I just did Tai Chi this morning, actually. I was thinking about that as you were describing it. I was like, that is Tai Chi. Tai Chi, um, tango dancing any kind of ballroom dancing, which now brings up not just the the, um, issue of multi-component physical activity, but also now what we call multitask, where while you're performing physical activity, you have a mental task going on. The simplest would be when we ask our older people while they're walking to warm up to count backward from 100 by 13 or to recite something from memory. Um, The more advanced things would be following a choreography routine in a dance class. So this is how exciting it is now. It's not people go, oh, I don't want to go to the gym and exercise by myself. No, you don't have to. And um, at the same time, um, there's now, thankfully, a resurgence of physical education in the schools with some very, very dynamic, wonderful activities for children to be doing that not only um, you know promote physical act- activity but mental activity at the same time. And it's not just happening in physical education class. It's now translating into common classroom activity. So we're making a comeback slowly, but surely. It's very exciting right now. Can you elaborate a little bit on um, what's going on in the classroom? 
Well, we have programs called active classrooms that use uh, physical activity to uh, convey um, thought, uh, com- convey information pertaining to, say, science, right? Jump up and down to count, you know, what's three plus three? Jump up and down to tell me your answer. Um, how does the blood, why does the heart rate increase when you're physically active? I don't know. Try it. Start jumping up and down. What happens? Oh, my heart rate. Why do you think that is? So using actual physical, um, three-dimensional methods of getting information across. And, you know, there are many of us who are proponents of removing chairs from classrooms. Um, And, you know, there are the nutrition people that want all soda out of vending machines, which is great. When I say, well, how about we remove chairs from classrooms, people look at me like I have three heads. Like, why does a first grader need to be sitting in a chair all day? Yeah, well, and how many students are sitting there and have ADHD? Right. Really would do a lot better if they could bounce around the room a little bit. combination of standing workstations, like in preschool, and coupled with the comeback of physical education and um, more recess time, um, the, the, the research is indicating that this has profound benefits on uh, children's cognitive function, as well as middle age and older people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exercise brain, good for everything. Brain blood flow. It's what it's about. In the guidelines, you hear about moderate to vigorous physical activity. What exactly is that? We use the common example of brisk walking. Okay, so if, um, and we differentiate that from um, a stroll or a leisurely walk. And so we say, well, you're, you should feel your heart rate increase. Um, if you're walking with somebody, you can still have a conversation, but there should be times when you say, stop talking, I'm trying to breathe, something like that. So, uh, you know, something more vigorous is where it would be very difficult to maintain a conversation. So we give um, guidelines, like it's not leisurely walking and it's not running where you can't have a conversation. So you can still talk, but it's a little bit more difficult, and you definitely feel an increase in your in your heart rate. Remember, it's all relative, right? So, what's moderate for you know a, an Olympic athlete might be more vigorous for uh, an eighty year old woman climbing a set of stairs. The evolution of just that is stunning to me because back in the day we were always told okay so when you're exercising make sure you can still talk because then um we know that you're not over you're not being what is it anaerobic well you're not you're not over exerting yourself number one and you're not shifting you know to more vigorous activity which might burn a different fuel depending on your 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 goals with exercise Um, But remember, the guidelines have always been based on moderate to vigorous physical activity. Um, The new guidelines now promote the benefits of light 
activity as well. Um, and really indicating the benefits aren't as great as with moderate to vigorous, but don't discount them right? Because it matters. And so as we um, now, another new area is the, um, you know, the addressing of sedentary behavior. And so as we address the lowering of sedentary time, that time can only be made up really with light intensity activity. So there you go. You've increased your area under the curve of physical activity tremendously because you can sustain light activity for a longer period of time. That's why standing workstations are incredible, right? It's not jump roping, but you're fiddling. You can get some squats in throughout the day. You walk around and think and move your arms and legs. Um, So think of it as increasing the area under the curve. I think that's a really important point because I know a lot of people get um, discouraged because they feel like I can't get to the gym for an hour and you know, you don't have to, you don't have to. And if anything, it might be easier to not go to the gym, right? Just go for a walk. Um, I keep forgetting to mention, you know, new aspects of the 2018 guidelines. There's now a section on bout length. Um, if you remember, you know, people thought, oh, I have to do it all at once. An hour, 45 minutes, or thir- even 30 minutes for some people is very difficult. No. Now we promote the value of, say, 10-minute bouts throughout the day. And so if you did four of those throughout the day, you've more than met the daily um, requirement or guidelines for physical activity. So I think the new guidelines really demonstrate it's a lot easier than you think to meet these guidelines. And for people who, as we were saying, you know, I don't have time to do that. One of the things that, you know, I've always been encouraged to do is is when you get stuck on something at work, get up and go go for a walk and then come back. Yeah. We have a we had a policy in meeting the environmental lead guidelines. No personal printers in offices and it had a an added benefit. Now you have to walk to the far end of the hallway to print. So number one, you think twice about printing, which is an environmental advantage, but number two, you get steps in going and it's it's all good. And you might jump bump into your coworkers too I and have, have a social interaction. I noticed that about the School of Public Health because I was over there a few months ago for for mm-hmm. the I am for us conference and when I asked people where are the printers uh it was always all the way down we had we helped design that building like with insofar as what would you like in there and so the stairways play a very prominent role the elevators are slow the printers are at the far end and for people claim for safety reasons you can only go into the suites one way so you probably went to the conference room and you have to walk all the way around if you walk out to use the bathroom, you have to walk back in all the way around. Another added benefit. 
So now that we've established that it's easy for you to get physical activity into your, your daily routine, what are some of the, the scientifically shown benefits of physical activity, uh, for instance, with chronic diseases or other conditions? Well, currently, there's absolutely no doubt about the benefits of physical activity to the prevention and treatment of basically any risk factor and chronic disease that we can think of. And this includes many cancers. Um, uh, And not only that, we now have um, a pretty thorough understanding of the mechanisms and exactly how physical activity does its work. So mechanisms being at the risk factor level, uh, at the system organ and molecular level. This is what happens when you begin to exercise. These are the changes that take place, as I said, everywhere from the cellular level to the systems level. So you, it has really helped us uh, define what types of exercise might be best for certain risk factor profiles. Um, and so, I mean, there, there's, there's no doubt of the benefits. It's just now a matter of raising population levels of physical activity. That's really interesting. Um, so one of the things we do in integrative medicine is, is a personalized approach. And it sounds like a lot of these guidelines really have that element to it, that it's not, you know, everyone should be doing um, running for 60 minutes a day, whereas that might have been more what we heard in the past. Do you think that these personalized guidelines are going to make it easier for physicians to consult their patients because they can see who their patient might be in these guidelines? I, I think so. Um, you know, I it, it wouldn't translate down to the genome level, but if you're working with older adults... Um, and you have the guidelines, they're online, or you can publish the tome, I would just go to the chapter on older adults, and or I would go to the chapter on cardiovascular disease or cancers and read the evidence. Um, the guidelines are um, written in a way that uh, the public has access to it. So any person can go and figure out what they need to do. There's little sidebars. There are definitions of what we mean by this. So they're very user-friendly for everyone. And, you know, we, um, what we in public health would love is if physical activity assessment were part of the intake, you know, where blood pressure is taken, body weight is taken, uh, questions asked about smoking, nobody ever asks, or, and drinking, but nobody ever asks, how much physical activity are you doing? And start from there. Do you think that um, also feeds into the lack of discussions providers are having with their patients about their weight? I think providers are more, they're less reluctant to talk about weight, right? You know, you're and and most I I don't know about most physicians, but the physicians that watch over me are very well aware of the the BMI guidelines, you know, and what the cut points are for. Um, 
for overweight and obesity and what the cut points are for blood pressure and hemoglobin A1C and less so about the guidelines. You know, are you getting between 150 minutes and 300 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity per week? Yes. Oh, okay. How are you doing it? And if no, then building a plan. It's got to be part of that 15-minute assessment or meeting or visit. Yeah, and I would hope that our integrative medicine physicians are doing that, as lifestyle medicine is a large part of what we do. But I feel like maybe the physicians don't have the tools that they, that they needed to work with each patient and make that plan, and I'm hoping that it sounds like these guidelines might be that tool. I think the guidelines will be very helpful, not simply for phys- physicians, although that's a very important target for these, but um, educators, um, business, you know, our national physical activity plan outlines eight sectors of our society that we should be targeting for the promotion of physical activity, the healthcare system being one of those eight, but there's seven others. So um, these are produced in a way that make them easy to understand. So where do you think we go from here? What are the needs for future research? Well, we're already planning the 2020 um, guidelines, and hopefully some of us will still have, you know, the mental capacity to, to do that. But there's, there's a few areas that I, th- I think represent the new frontier for physical activity research, and this is what we tell our MPH students in the physical activity in public health program. You know, enough already with exercise is good. We know that, but... You know, we need, as I said, to raise population levels. And so um, the first area um, really deals with the built environment and how we design our cities, how we design our buildings. And some of the most innovative research is now coupling environmental lead standards with physical activity standards. And you to achieve like platinum, you need to have a number of these factors in-house, in place, right here. Um, and so that's that needs to be evaluated. Um, w- physical activity policy is 100 years behind nutrition policy, right? And we have no national policy pertaining to that. So that's the next area that we're training um, our students more about public health practice and really getting out there and, and promoting it uh, through policy. And, and the one research area I think we're going to see a lot is um, the uterine environment and how physical activity in pregnant women affects the fetal programming of future chronic diseases. And so the uterine environment now is the new area, the new setting. Yeah, that's very fascinating, particularly when you think about historically women were warned against physical activity when they were pregnant. And I think that holds over even today. A lot of women don't think they can do the regular activity they were doing before they got pregnant when they became pregnant. Right. So the guidelines also now address 
pregnancy and postpartum, and I got to work on that committee. Um, and the evidence it really echoes what the national bodies have stated. It's not harmful at all. If, and especially if you were active up until pregnancy, you can remain active all the way through. And there are benefits to that. Um, but I think we're going to be studying it a lot closer in the future. Now, the timeline for the previous guidelines, uh, they were done 10 years ago, then a new set is coming out this fall or... November. November. You, you just said that there's going to be something released in 2020. Well, I don't know that they'll be released. We're just thinking ahead. You know, another 10 years, it'll be 2020. The nutrition guidelines are updated much more frequently. So we're looking ahead. Um, it makes sense just to update the physical fit activity guidelines frequently as well. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But you're right. You're right. Hopefully we'll get there. We will. It's a lot of work. Well, we appreciate you doing all that work for us. And that's actually all the time we have for today. So thank you very much, Dr. DiPietro, for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frey. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.